0: Welcome to the Center Ranch Church Weekly Podcast. We believe that faith comes by hearing the Word of God. Thanks so much for checking out the podcast. Here's this week's message. About a month or so ago, we started a series that we're calling stronger. And just very simply, that's what we're talking about. How do we get stronger as men and women of God? How do I grow in my relationship with Jesus? How do I become stronger spiritually? Because there are things that you can do. If you do them, you will become stronger as a follower of of Jesus. And sometimes we complicate it. Really, it's, it's pretty simple. There are things we can do, things we can abstain from that will propel us forward in our walk with the Lord. We've been using Proverbs chapter 24 verse 10 sort of is like a a launching pad or a a beginning point in this series. And that verse says, if you fall or if you fail in the day of adversity, your strength is too small. If when hard times come, trial, tribulation, temptation, and obstacle, if that derails you, if that sets you back, If that causes you to fall, to backslide, if that stops you cold, it brings a revelation that your strength, you just didn't, you weren't strong enough. Your strength was too small, you were too weak but those same trials, those same temptations, those same difficulties also have the ability to bring about a different kind of revelation. They can reveal in our lives that you had abundant strength, that those trials and difficulties, day of adversity comes and it goes, and you're left standing strong. And the difference between people who fall and people who succeed, it comes down to how strong you are, Or how strong you aren't. So, we've been looking at different things. We started off talking about the importance of knowing that you know that you know that you are forgiven of your sins. Second Peter chapter One talks about men and women of God that develop and grow and move from one thing to another, and they just keep advancing and then it says there are people that don 't develop like this, they don 't advance, and it says it 's because they 've forgotten that they 've been cleansed of their sins you 've got to know that when you confess your sins, God is faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness as far as the east is from the west, He separates us from our sins He throws them into the sea of forgetfulness and remembers them no more you 've got to know that. And when you know that, it sets you free to begin that journey of growing stronger and advancing as a man or a woman of God. Then we talked about the importance of spending time in the Bible. Engage deeply with the Word of God. Don't have a shallow engagement. Let Hide God's Word in your heart. Then we talked about the importance of prayer, having a prayer life. We talked about some of the very practical benefits of having a, a prayer relationship, making prayer a priority. One of the things we talked about is when Jesus told his disciples to watch and pray. Why? So that you won't fall into temptation. If you find yourself falling into temptation over and over, it reveals you need to increase your prayer life. Jesus said that engaging in prayer, one of the benefits would be it would guard you when temptation comes. You'd be strong. We talked about the importance of casting our cares on on the Lord because he cares for us. And we talked about him caring about us and also him caring for us. That he can care on our behalf. He can carry that burden for us. He always loves you. He always cares about you. But he doesn't always carry your burdens. He cares your burdens when in prayer you cast your cares on on the Lord. So he cares about you. He will also care on your behalf. He'll care for you about that situation. So you can be worry-free, anxiety-free, stress-free, care-free, like the Bible tells us to do. And then we talked about the importance of being filled with God's Spirit. A second work in the life of the believer, baptism in the Holy Spirit. We talked about that. Jesus said you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. We talked about praying in other tongues and how important it is to use your prayer language. We talked about the strength that comes just by means of being, being filled. There's a strength that comes when you are full. I shared with you a little experiment I, I did myself where I squeezed two different cans one can I squeezed as hard as I could, and it, it, not, it wasn't affected at all. The only thing that happened is I think I popped something in my wrist and hurt myself. I was squeezing so hard. The other can I squeezed, and I began to crush the structure of that can. And the difference was one was empty. And the other was filled and sealed. And the one that was filled and sealed, didn't matter how hard I squeezed it, it was unaffected. It had a strength just by nature of being full. And the Bible tells us to be filled, to keep yourself full. And when you're full of God's Spirit, there's just a, a natural strength that comes when things are filled. Amen? Just very simple things that you can do to grow stronger. You know, if you're like me, and I've shared this before. I would like to be really fit. I would like to have six, a six pack instead of a, a dad bod. I would like to be, you know, muscular. I would like all of those things, but I'm also kind of lazy when it comes to physical fitness. And so that combination has made me vulnerable to, to fall for claims that you see on the front of a magazine or a pop up ad on your computer where it's six pack abs in six minutes a day or, you know, be beach body ready in you know one week or something like that and i'll sometimes read those articles excited thinking i'm going to find some some shortcut some way that I can just take a couple of quick, easy steps and end up, you know, being really, really fit. And I'm always hopeful that it's just some weird combination they've discovered, like a certain amount of salt on your food. If you put this right amount of salt and the fat is just going to melt away, they've discovered it's, it's got to be this exact amount. Or something weird, like if you, if you begin your day, don't eat, don't eat oatmeal. A root beer float. If you start your day, I don't know. Scientists have discovered that combination of ice cream and fizz, or whatever, a, a root beer float to begin your day, first thing in the morning. It does something to your, you know, genetics, and, and you, you'll just, your, it supercharges your muscles. That's what I'm looking for. Anyone else? You're hoping there's some like trick, and you read those articles, and it turns out like. This is just sit-ups and not eating as much food. I I already knew that stuff. I already, I guess, exercise and diet. I I got that. I was hoping for a shortcut, some kind of weird secret to get physically fit. And you're disappointed when you find out, like, it's already the stuff that you knew to do. You just haven't been doing it because you've been waiting for a shortcut. Sometimes we have that same attitude when it comes to spiritual fitness. That when we talk, hey, you can become strong. You can advance. You can grow as a man or a woman of God. And you want some kind of little secret. And then you hear like, we're just talking about reading the Bible. We're just talking about prayer. We're just talking about being filled with the whole... I already knew that stuff. I'm looking for like, I've been holding out for for some special secret. Just do the stuff that you already know to do. It's not just being a hearer of the word of God, being a doer of of the word of God. So I know it's simple and the stuff that we're talking about is basic, but if you'll actually do it, there there are things that you can do. If you'll be faithful to do them, You're going to grow stronger. It's just inevitable. You'll create an environment in your life where you just naturally grow stronger and deeper and higher and go further. Amen? Amen. So we're going to continue this morning. And this morning, we're going to talk about joy. We're going to talk about the joy of the Lord. Because the Bible says the joy of the Lord is our... So how could you talk about being stronger and not talk about the importance of having joy? So we're, we're going to talk about joy, and as we talk about joy, I, I'm not going to split hairs between joy and happiness, and how ha- being happy, that's something different than, than joy, because I think we've made a mistake making some big chasm between the joy of the Lord and, and being happy. That when we talk about the joy of the Lord, it, it's, not, it's not happiness, it's a spiritual joy, Right? And we've made it, this it's just ethereal, it's theological, and it doesn't really manifest any actual joy in in our lives, right? You can have the joy of the Lord. Well, that sounds awesome. Well, it's not actual joy. It's a spiritual. Oh, well, I mean, then no thank you, right? The joy of the Lord is real joy. When you talk spiritual joy, anyway, it, it is spiritual joy, and I know there are some some differences and some distinctions that can be made, but I, they're much closer related than what you typically hear taught and what most people believe. We, we've separated them. God wants you joyful, and that's not just a spiritual joyful. It means a joy that you actually smile, and you, you've got a pleasant disposition, and you're happy about things. That real, actual happiness and joy. Amen? Anyway, things that are spiritual are supposed to have a manifestation in the natural. Third John chapter 1, verse 3. Above all else, I wish that you would prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. So what's going on on a soulish round was supposed to have a manifestation in their actual life. So when we make this distinction and try to separate the two, even if you can argue it's purely spiritual, it should still have a manifestation in our lives. Any other joy that you experience, it, it results in you having a smile and being, being happy, right? Why should spiritual joy be any different? If I told you that you just won a million dollars, how would you express your, your response? Well, I'm very happy, but it's just a financial joy. I've got a, I've got a financial joy, so on that level, yes, I'm full of joy. Now, you'd be excited, right? It might be a financial joy, but you, you'd be happy. You, this is amazing, right? If you, I took you out to a restaurant, you're eating your favorite food. You wouldn't say, I'm having a dietary joy. It's just, it's purely on a dietary, nutritional basis. I, I've got joy on that level. Something happens in your marriage, in a relationship. You, you don't just... Dis- distinguish between, it's a relational joy. Any other kind of joy, it manifests the same way. You're happy, you're excited, you're smiling, it puts you in a good mood. Why would we segregate spiritual joy in some other category that has no carryover to something we can actually enjoy, right? So we've made that distinction in the church and it, it's, it's been a mistake. You know that, that, that verse where we get the joy of the Lord as our strength? It's found in Nehemiah. Let, let me read it to you. got the wrong Bible. Is is that my Bible there? That's weird. (laughs) Nehemiah chapter eight, starting in verse 10, it says, then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet and send portions to those for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites quieted all the people, saying, Be still, for the day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and rejoice greatly because they understood the words that were declared to them. So this, this is the passage where we talk about how many of the joy of the Lord is, is our strength. And then we quickly explain it away that it's not a joy that you can actually enjoy. It's just you know th- theological joy. Notice what he told them to do, to eat the fat and to drink the sweet. That doesn't sound very spiritual, does it? If it's just purely spiritual, how is he telling them to stir up the joy of the Lord, that their strength, to enjoy goodness in a very natural sense, eat the fat? It doesn't sound like go enjoy a, a healthy meal. He's talking about go eat something good, right? Go eat something that you're going to enjoy. Throw your health concerns. Just go and indulge in something filthy, and you know you shouldn't. Go eat the fat, drink the get yourself something good to drink. That's what he's telling them telling them to do because he's addressing the fact that they are experiencing sorrow. Now he's prescribing spiritual joy for what kind of sorrow? Spiritual sorrow. But that spiritual sorrow, how is it being expressed? If you read the, the previous verses, they are weeping, right? So if, if somebody is spiritually grieved or has spiritual sorrow, how does that manifest in their life? Real emotions that you can feel and that you express. So spiritual joy, the joy of the Lord, should be the same way. And he doesn't draw this distinction between the two to stir up the joy of the Lord. Go in and just enjoy the things that God has blessed you with. Amen. 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 Amen right? Go eat the fat, drink, drink the sweet, go have a good time. And he said, it's important because the joy of the Lord is your strength. Joy brings strength. Even in a natural level, joy causes strength. There's only been one time that I've been upset with Pastor Josiah. We were, we were at a coffee shop. He was meeting with somebody And I happened to be at the same coffee shop and I was meeting with somebody else. And I happened to to overhear, kind of eavesdrop and and overhear the conversation he was having with somebody else. And in that conversation, he was talking about how he didn't like hunting. And he was sharing that in a way, he he was talking about how dumb hunting is. (laughs) How silly it is. And he was saying things like, why would I want to get up early in the morning Go sit in the woods, freeze, waste my time when there's other things that I could be doing that would be more productive. Now, I was getting upset as I was hearing him say these things. And one of the reasons I was getting upset is because everything he was saying was true, right? Like, I I can't argue against it. But there's something about hunting... I just like it. I don't know. I, I, like, I like hunting. And even though he described it that way, you've got to get up super early. Well, I don't particularly enjoy getting up at four o'clock in the morning, going out in the dark, sitting in, sitting in the cold, getting frostbite, hypothermia, sitting there, your teeth chattering. I, I don't necessarily enjoy those things but it's hunting, so I I just like it. Get up early, go out in the woods in the dark. I usually use a climber stand. You gotta lug that thing out there, put it on a tree, a sweaty mess by the time you get up in your your spot, and then you you freeze to death, because you got, I mean, it it sounds very miserable, but again, I I don't know. I'm willing to do all those things with a smile on my face, because I just like it. My dad hates hunting. My brother hates hunting. It's torture to them, but if you like it, You like it, right? And those things that would be torturous because of the joy that you have, eh, I don't know, it's just part of it. I I don't know, I like it, it's fun. Get up early. the joy gives you a strength to push through other things, things that otherwise would be miserable to you, right? If somehow I lost the joy of hunting, somebody took that joy out of me, it would change my perspective on getting up early, sitting out in the woods all by myself all day, uh, losing feeling in my extremities. I would change my perspective, and I'd say, you know what, I don't want to do that. It's not worth, it's too difficult, too hard, but the joy of it gives me the strength to do it. If somebody if somebody gave pastor josiah the joy of hunting maybe through testosterone boosters or something like like that and, and and he started and he started to like to hunt as well if he had the if he had found the joy in it then those those things that that are like it's too hard it's too difficult why would i want to do that it just sounds so laborious if he found joy in it he'd be like the rest of us men and he'd say you know what eh. It's part of it, I just, I like it. you, you see what I'm saying? That joy, joy gives a strength. So when we apply that to the joy of the Lord, that there are some things. That, you know, my, why would I give up my Sunday? Why would I give up my finances? Be a giver? No, I'm pretty focused on being a getter. If I'm being honest, serve other people? Why in the world would I do that? But when there's joy in it, but man, but, huh, I don't know. I just like it. I, 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 I'm crazy. I, I like serving people. There's just a joy. I, I don't mind doing. I, I love to give. Right? When there's joy, it provides a strength that I, what other people would be. Scratching scratching their heads. Why in the world would you do that? You've got a strength to make what seems insurmountable to other people just seem like, eh, I don't know, I just, I just like it, right? The joy of the Lord is your strength. Literally in the Hebrew from this passage, it can be translated fortress or stronghold. The joy of the Lord is a fortress. It's a fortress. It's a place that you dwell. Joy is a fortress. Have you ever, ever been someplace that was so enjoyable that you didn't want to leave. It was difficult to get out of it. I've got I've got a daughter that's very difficult to get out of bed. Just it's 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 hard to get her out of bed. You kind of move from trying to be pleasant about, "Hey, it's time to get up. It's a brand new day. Let's you know, let's get things started." Slowly over time you move to the other end of the spectrum like Get your rear end out of that bed right right now. It's hard to get her to budge. And I understand. You've been in bed on a cold morning, which it's just so nice. It's so pleasant. It's like you're not budging, right? It's so enjoyable. I'm not going anywhere. Well, that's what how joy functions as keeping you in a fortress of God's protection. It's, it's a stronghold, a fortress around you. And joy is what keeps, you, what keeps you in that spot. That when temptation comes, things that you used to enjoy come and try to lure you out of that place of protection. It's just so sweet and so pleasant that those things that they would try to lure you at, they lose their ability to entice you because it's so, no, where I'm at is so nice. The enemy wants to get you to, to cheat on your spouse or be on, di- dishonest in your finances or, or do something that will compromise your integrity. Look at something you shouldn't be looking at. Say something you shouldn't be saying and he's trying to entice you, but your relationship with the Lord is so joyful and so sweet and so, it's not empty, dry religion. It's like, you know what? I, I'd really rather just stay in right relationship with Jesus. I have so much joy just in communing with him. It's so wonderful. I, I'm, it's, I don't even have to resist. I'm just delighting in the Lord and those things lose their lose their appeal to me. It's like joy has built a fortress that keeps me safe in my walk with the Lord. Yes. We used to sing a song Tur- turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim. Strange, just as you're Enjoying fellowship with Jesus. Those things that use, I used to, have to fight not to do that. I knew I shouldn't be doing it, but I kept doing it anyway. The more I find the joy of the Lord, yeah, no, I, it's just grown strangely dim. No way. I, would, I wouldn't trade what I have with Jesus for any, any of those things. The joy of the Lord is our strength. But you've got to be intentional about being joyful. Because here's the mistake a lot of us make. Well, I'm just, I'm just not naturally joyful. Right? And some of us are, are more naturally joyful than others, but sometimes we're, if we're not, we don't have that natural disposition. We just kind of assume, well, that's not. That's not something for me because I'm not natural. You've got to to be intentional about it and not just expect it to come automatically. It's like anything else in life. Things will tend one direction unless you're intentional and put effort into causing them to move the opposite direction. What what if after service today, we were talking together, and as we're talking, you you smelt something that was terrible. And it was distracting to you. It's burning your eyes. You I'm sorry, I, I don't mean to be distracted, but do you smell that? And as you said it, you noticed, you started to put two and two together and you realized that smell was coming from me. And you looked and you could tell that it looked like I hadn't showered for weeks. My hair was greasy. My fingernails were all caked with dirt. And you realize that he smells terrible. And I noticed that you're picking up on it. I said, well, I'm, I just don't naturally smell fresh. I'm, I just, you know... I'm just not naturally a nice-smelling person. Well, no, you've got to put effort into it, right? And again, some, some people fight a, more of a battle than others. But it's worth it for all of us to put some if you just, well, I, I don't just, I'm just not naturally, you know, a pleasant smelling person. No, you've got, you've got to decide I'm going to be and then figure out what steps will get me from here to there. And it's worth your effort to clean. It's, it's the same way with your mindset and your emotions. You might not be a naturally joyful person. Well, you got to figure out how to get there. Whether it's smell, physical fitness. If I came waddling out here at 650 pounds... And instead of having Dozer put water on the stand, I said, you know what? Let's, let's just do jelly donuts. <laughs> if my throat starts getting a little dry, I'll just cram down a few jelly donuts to wet my whistle. Just squeeze it. The... And then I complained about, well, I'm just not a naturally fit person. It's just not, it just doesn't come naturally to me. Well, it might be easier for some than others, but all of us can take steps to move to move in that direction. Right? So don't, don't fall into the fallacy, what's well, just not a natural thing for me, and let yourself off. The All of us have to work to fill ourselves with joy and to keep the right mindset. Jesus told his disciples to be of good cheer. That was an instruction, that was a command. So that means you're not just a victim of your circumstances. And if things go well, you have a particularly light, nice day. My week went great. Okay, I can have joy. I can be happy. I've got the joy of the Lord. But if things went bad, there's another outcome break of some crazy disease, there's something happened at work, my wife and I are fighting, then I have no joy to operate on. You're not a victim of your circumstances, or the Bible couldn't give us specific instructions to be of good cheer, or to rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, re- rejoice. So there's something that we can do to create joy and to protect joy. We're not just however things are going. That, that's going to determine our, our joy. Amen. John 16:33 John 16:33 When you see people that are joyful and happy, don't just assume that they're naturally like that. That's not fair. You don't know what they're like naturally. Just like when you talk to somebody and they smell nice, you can't just assume that that's their natural smell right? They've taken effort to prepare themselves and get themselves fresh and and pleasant. The same thing is true emotionally in people's disposition. If you spend any time talking to Christina Francis, she's the most joyful, happy person that you'll ever encounter. All she does is is smile and giggle and laugh and, you know, say nice things. But it would be a mistake just to assume that's no fair. She's just naturally, you don't know that. I don't know that. I don't know what kind of work she does behind the scenes to get her mind right and to make a determination. I will be filled with joy. I have the joy of the Lord. Push unpleasant things out, out of her mind and dwell on things that are good and pleasing, right? You, you don't know the work that goes beyond the scenes. And so don't, when you meet somebody that's just naturally joyful or seems naturally joyful, make that assumption and then just kind of get yourself off the hook like you are you have to resign yourself to being Kind of melancholy and mediocre in their emotions. Jesus said, "Be of good cheer." John sixteen thirty three. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. In this world you have tribulation. He said, "But be of good cheer." Why? Why be of good cheer? Because of the tribulation. No, because he's overcome the world. So he's giving us two different things, and you can see what you what you decide that you're gonna fix your mind on and your heart on is going to determine whether you've got good cheer or not. He gives us one, one set of circumstances, but he says that doesn't have to determine your mindset and your emotions. You're gonna have tribulation. And there are Christians that that's like their favorite word. They love to talk about tribulation, the tribulation. Anything with tribulation, they just get like this weird indulgent kick out of it. And they focus on it, and they're typically not the most joyful people to be around. So you you can focus on that tribulation. You will have tribulation. It's going to be a thing, but be of good cheer. Why? I've overcome the world. So you've got two things that you can focus on. If you focus on the fact that whatever goes on around me, Jesus has overcome. He's won a victory for me. His hand is on me. Greater is he who is in me than he that is in this world, right? He'll never leave me or forsake me. If I focus on that, then no matter what's going on, I can be of good cheer. But you've got to decide what you're going to focus on. I've heard people preach messages out of that passage and only talk about the first half, we're going to have tribulation. It's just a natural thing, and start to focus on that, and it becomes depressing. Or you could talk about how Jesus is an overcomer and He overcame on our behalf, and it changes the mood. So Jesus is giving us a clue or insight on how to be of good cheer. What are you going to focus on? Similar, Psalm 34:19. "Many are the afflictions of the righteous." Well that's not all the verse says, though, right? Many are the afflictions. But it goes on to say, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. So you can focus on the afflictions. I've got so many afflictions. It seems like a new one every day. This past year has been the craziest year ever. Many are the afflictions. But that's not where it stops. The Lord delivers them out. That's cause to be of good cheer. That means no matter what's going on. He delivers you out of them all. There's no affliction you've been in that you're in right now that you'll be in in the future that the, God doesn't have the ability to get you out of it and give you a story of how he pulled you out of it and how faithful and good he's been to you and he shared his overcoming power with you and made you an overcomer as well. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, yes, but the Lord, deli- the Lord will deliver you out of any affliction that you find yourself in, amen? And it depends what you... What you focus on, we've got a bent towards the negative, right? Just in the natural, people have a bent towards the negative. Even the, the weatherman has a bent towards the negative. Of a 30% chance of rain. That, that means there's a 70% chance that it won't rain. Why do you focus on that? Why don't you turn the weather around and say, hey, there's a 60% chance of sunshine instead of a 40% chance uh, of rain? But to begin to get our minds right, and again, some of us have to work harder than others. To have that mindset, you might say, well, you know what, I, I'd have to really work hard. Then work really hard. It's worth the effort. It's not optional. We're told, we're instructed, be of good cheer. Be of good cheer, rejoice, and again I say, rejoice. Turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter four. You have a choice what you set your mind on. Philippians chapter four. Verse eight, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's anything, if there's any virtue, and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things, or set your mind, fix your minds on these things. All all of us have something bad that we could think about. All of us have been hurt, all of us have been disappointed, all of us have been cheated, someone's done all of us wrong in some measure, and we could focus on that. But he's telling us there's a certain category of things we're supposed to meditate on, fill our minds with, think about if it's good, if it's pleasing, if it's a virtue, if it's praiseworthy, if it's of a good report, That's what we're supposed to keep our minds fixed on. So one of the things, if you don't have something in your life that you can draw your mind to, how God has blessed you, a very easy thing is simply to fix your mind on the word of God. John chapter 15, verse 11, Jesus said, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. Jesus said, I'm telling you these things. The reason that I speak is why? So that my joy can be in you, and that your joy can be full. The word of God brings joy. God's word brings joy. It produces produces joy supernaturally. In ways I can't understand or describe when we read it, it just produces joy. But it also produces joy because of the good news that we read in it. It produces joy. When you find out, when when I read that I can go to the Father the same way that Jesus goes to the Father... I've got access. I can come to before his throne with confidence and boldness. That that brings joy. When you read that God wants you to prosper, he wants your family to flourish, that's cause to be filled with joy. It brings joy. You can read about how God has provided healing for your body. That you don't have to be in panic when you hear negative health reports or the the doctors saying this or that. He's provided healing for it. When you know that, that produces joy in our lives. God's word produces joy. So, when the devil is stealing the word of God, like the parable of the sower, whenever the word of God goes and the devil tries to steal it immediately, this helps us understand why. The devil doesn't steal the word of God out of your heart because he's got a word of God collection that he's trying to add to. He knows that God's word produces what? Joy. And what is joy? It's our strength. So if he can rob the word of God out of your life, it's not going to produce joy and he's going to render you weak and helpless. God's word produces joy. It produces joy when you read the good news. It produces joy when you're a doer of the word and you see the fruit of following through on it. When you handle your relationships in line with God's word, when you walk in purity and you get to enjoy a a, a rich, full marriage and family or see your finances blessed because you followed the word of God, when you enjoy those results, it's something that brings joy, amen? God's word, uh, just level after level, it produces joy in, in our lives. People who know Jesus should be the happiest people that you could ever encounter. It just doesn't make any sense why someone who knows Jesus wouldn't be so happy. Even Jesus' words, every other emotion, every other thing, it's like he's a, a specific command against it. You're not supposed to be afraid. We're told not to be afraid. We're told not to worry. We're told not to be dismayed. There's really nothing left other than being joyful and thankful, right? We should be the happiest people that can be encountered on the face of the planet. Earlier in Philippians chapter four, verse four, it says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Similar to 1 Thessalonians 5.18, in everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. So we're supposed to always be joyful, always rejoicing, always thankful. Now that doesn't mean that you're joyful for everything or thankful for everything, right? When you get a bad report, someone you love has been diagnosed with cancer, you you don't find a way to give thanks to God for the cancer. You're thankful in every circumstance, but not for every circumstance. You find something to be joyful about. It might not be the cancer. It shouldn't be the cancer, but you can be joyful about the fact that your God is a healer and he's already paid the price for for healing. So we're, we're joyful all the time. We're thankful all the time. And it's not just because the Bible tells us to do it, and it's not because it just pleases God. Obviously, obedience pleases God. But God is giving us a force that actually has the ability to turn situations around. And that's one of the things, if you don't get anything else out of that, I want you to get this. I think we've, we've misunderstood joy and only had like a one-dimensional understanding of it, that we think joy is just an expression. Joy just expresses how the last few moments of your day or week are going. And if things have been going well, then you are joyful, and it's a reflection or an expression of how things have gone leading up to that point. But joy is actually a force. It doesn't just express how things have gone. It determines how things are going to go. Joy is a force that determines how your future is going to go. Let let me read to you from Proverbs 17, verse 22. A merry heart does good like medicine, but a broken spirit dries the bones. A merry heart does good like medicine, but a broken spirit dries the bones. We we could talk about a broken, critical, angry, frustrated, complaining spirit and how that moves somebody backwards, how much damage that does. But that's that's a whole other topic. The first couple words in that verse say, A merry heart does good like a medicine. A merry heart does good like a medicine. So what does that mean? That means a, a merry heart is good, right? A merry heart's good. But there, there's, there's more than that, because if that's all there was, then it would have just said a merry heart is good. That's not what it says. It says a merry heart doeth good, and then it gives us a comparison or something to bring revelation and understanding. A merry heart does good like what? It doeth good like medicine. So there's, there's some kind of comparison. There's some truth there for us to pull out about being joyful and having a merry heart. If I saw you this week, we had coffee together, and then I said, I, I, I've got to get going. I've got like four prescriptions. I've got I to gotta run to the pharmacy and pick them up. When you heard me say that I've got to go, be ta- you know, I need to be taking all these medicines, you wouldn't say, are you kidding? You're doing that good? That's awesome. You're on that much medicine? Come on, high five, right? <laughs> when I told you I'm taking all that medicine, you wouldn't take that as an expression of how healthy I am you would probably say, oh my goodness, what's going on? What's the problem? Why are you on so much medicine? Because when you take medicine, it's not something you do to celebrate how healthy you are. The reason you take it is because there is a problem that needs to be fixed, and you're hoping that it is the cure or it is the solution to end that problem and change, change your situation, right? That's how, that's how medicine functions. You don't take it because you're doing well. You take it so you can do well. Now he's saying a merry heart is similar. A merry heart does good like a medicine. So when we think of being merry and joyful and happy and excited, it's only as an expression that I'm doing well. He says, no, it it works the opposite way. When things aren't going well, when things are difficult and you need them to be changed, then that's when you need to get your heart merry and full of joy and to begin to rejoice in the Lord and it brings a solution. It's the cure for the problem, not just an expression that the problem has been dealt with. You with me? A merry heart functions in our life like medicine. Your merriment, your joyfulness, your happiness, your excitement, your enjoyment of life doesn't have to be determined just by how things have gone in recent memory. Your choice to be joyful, I'm going to fill my heart and my mind with the Word of God. It actually determines how things are going to go in the future. Joy is not just an emotional expression. He's telling us joy is a determining force that you can either engage with or just leave it to chance. And it's a foolish person that has given. That, that kind of entrustment and leaves it to chance. Let, let, let me show you from the book of Habakkuk. Turn to the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk, however you want to say it, you're going to have to look it up in the table of contents anyway. Habakkuk chapter three, verse 17 says, Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive tree may fail, and the fields yield no fruit, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. We'll stop right there. What he's describing is a pretty dire situation. Now you and I might not care about any of those things. I don't care about the vines, flocks, herds, stalls. It makes no difference to me. Crops, olives. I don't like olives anyway. You, you know, it doesn't. We can read that. And it's like whatever. Next verse. But for somebody that in an agricultural society, he's going item by item. This is like worst case scenario. Nothing is working. Everything is taking a turn for for the negative. Animals aren't producing crops aren't producing, the trees aren't producing, the vines aren't producing, everything is dried up, there's nothing, there's nothing to eat. So your health is in danger, your finances are wrecked. He, he's talking about I mean this is just absolute worst of everything coming coming together in this situation. Verse 18. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. When I when I read that I had to read it a couple times. I thought it was a misprint. I thought, I will have joy. It's using joy, not just as a noun, it's a verb. It says, I will joy. I'm, I'm going I'm to be joying. I'm doing some joy. He, he's making a determination. I'll rejoice, and I'm going to joy in the Lord of my salvation. He's made up his mind. No matter, whatever's going on, he's made a determination, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. So things are bad, things are terrible. He's kind of documented how bad they are. He says, but it's not just an expression. He understands something about joy. He knows that it's medicinal. He knows that it's a cure for the situation. He he looks at the situation, goes through it. Okay, that's bad, that's bad, that's bad, that's terrible, that's even worse. What am I going to do? I know what I'm going to do. Father, there's nobody like you. Father, I delight my heart in you. What a wonderful God you are. You're my strength. You're my joy. Oh, I love your presence, God. You are so good to me. He begins to joy in the Lord, right? He makes that determination. Look at the next verse. Verse 19. The Lord God is my strength, and he has made my feet like hinds' feet and makes me walk on my high places. The Lord God is, is my strength. The God who can do anything, the God who is limitless, he's actually my strength. However you can limit God, that's the same limit that my strength knows. He, listen to the way that he's talking. He says, you've made my feet. Somehow you've transformed my feet, and now I have hinds feet. We've talked about this before, but it's, it, it's so important. You can look at an animal's body parts and determine where that animal belongs, Right? If we had a polar bear here this morning and we didn't know anything about polar bears, we just had to, to kind of study it and try to figure out where, where does this thing belong and just started kind of poking and prodding. Okay, well, it's got like four inches of blubber all over its body. Okay, it's covered in like really thick white fur. Where's this thing belong? It probably doesn't belong in the desert, right? I don't know. Uh, it probably belongs someplace cold. You, you with me? But you can start looking at its body parts and determine. This thing it was made for a certain spot. The, the, its body determines where it belongs. If we had some kind of reptile in here, a little lizard or something, had to examine it. Well, it's got like no body fat. It's got no fur. It's got no hair. It probably probably wouldn't do well in the Arctic. Probably, probably in the desert or someplace Someplace warm, something like that. You could make those determinations knowing nothing else, just looking at, at its body and the way that God built it. Now, here he says, God, you've done something. Something has happened to me. You transformed my feet into hinds feet and you made me to walk on my, my high places. How did this transformation take place? How did, how did his feet go from regular old people feet to these hinds feet? A transition has happened where he's been given feet that are made for something specific, right? Hinds feet, those are different than frog feet. Hind's feet are, are, are different than, than dog feet. They're a specific kind of foot that are made from going from someplace low and climbing to someplace high. A transformation has happened that you can tell where this man belongs by looking at his feet. He belongs someplace high. He says, you've you've made me to walk on my high places. Listen to the way he's talking. He's talking about high places that belong to me. God, you're my strength. You make me to walk in these high places. This isn't just a sequence of one religious Verse after another. There is a huge gulf between how he was talking in verse 17 and what he's expressing in verse 19. He went from talking about how bad things are, how low I am, everything's dried up. Now he's talking about strutting around. I walk in my high places. What was the bridge that got him from one place to another? It was when he made the determination to use the force of joy, not to focus on how bad things were. He had plenty of of, of material to talk about how dire the situation, I don't know what I'm going to do. I hope you can see me through. He begins to joy in the Lord. And the next verse, he's talking about, God, you've done a transformation in me. I don't even belong in that old spot. You've given me a body. You can tell just by looking at me, I belong someplace high. You've equipped me to climb from low to high. And it's the same transformation that takes place in us when we begin to joy in the Lord and rejoice. Joy is a force that turns situations. It's a medicine that we take, not just to express how we're feeling, but to determine and where we are going. So so many examples in in the Bible. We don't have time to go there, but we can look at 2 Chronicles chapter 20, the story of Jehoshaphat. When, When they're going out to meet the armies, three different nations assembled to destroy them. They don't stand a chance. You remember the story. They decide to begin to praise the Lord, to begin to rejoice. Send the praisers out first. They begin to magnify God. It says they begin to declare the beauty of his holiness. God, you're so wonderful. It threw the enemies into confusion. It confuses the enemies. They, they began to kill one another. They were so confused. We're going to wipe these people out. Listen, listen, listen. What are they doing? They're praising God. They're rejoicing over there. It threw them into such confusion that they killed themselves. Started attacking one another. By the time the Israelites got there, all they had to do was clean up the spoils. For three days, they gathered all the precious materials that had been left behind because they turned the situation. They went from, we don't stand a chance to the battle is already won, and the way they ch- turned it was through rejoicing. I-, I believe the apostle Paul confused his enemies, his attitude. You read 2nd Corinthians, he talks about his hardships, talks about how he's been beaten, how he's been whipped, how he's been imprisoned how he's been shipwrecked three times, spent a night just bobbing around at sea, how he's been cold, how he's been naked, how he's been tired, how he's been hungry, how he's in danger when he's at sea, he's in danger when he's in the wilderness, he's in danger when he's with people, the Jews hate him, the Gentiles want to kill him. He's going on and on about all of his difficulties, and he refers to his afflictions as these light afflictions that are but for a moment. That would confuse the enemy. I mean, what else could the enemy possibly throw at this guy that he's shrugging it off and say these light afflictions? You'd lose your motivation. When I was in college, I liked to prank people, and I did some terrible things to people that I won't share with you because you'd lose whatever respect you have for me. The terrible, heartless things that caused people to drop out of school. But when we would do a prank to people, I mean, the, the, the reaction is what you're after, right? You do something cruel to people and you just wanna sit back and wait till they found it or they've experienced it, right? You're waiting. And when there's no reaction, no response, they, they don't go crazy because of how terrible things are. You, it's, it's no fun. It's confusing. You lose your motivation. The, the, the joy of it is, is gone, Right? We do the same thing with the devil. When he tries to throw everything he has at you, but you just keep joying in the Lord. I'm just going to keep joying. I'm going to rejoice in God. You you send confusion. You use a force against him. You rob him of his motivation. When you're not talking about how bad things are, what a good job he's doing, beating up on you. The joy of the Lord gives you strength. The joy of the Lord gives you strength. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to share communion this morning. In fact, ushers, you can go ahead and distribute that. You can just hold on to it for a moment. I want to read to you from Luke chapter 24. Praise you, Lord Jesus. Praise you, Lord Jesus. Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 13, it says, Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem, and they talked together of all these things which had happened. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained, so they did not know him. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another that you walk and are sad? There's so much in those verses right there. What kind of conversation is this? He's asking them what type, what kind of conversation, what are you talking about that's producing sadness. You have, you have kinds of conversations. You know that? You have types of conversations that produce something in your life. And so Jesus was asking, what kind is this? What kind of, what are you guys talking about? How are you talking that's causing you to walk along and be so sad? And it says that they were blocked in their perception and didn't even see him. You know, joy, joy opens your perception. I believe that if they've been walking along and rejoicing in the goodness of God, that when Jesus came up, they wouldn't have been blinded to him. They were what? What are you talking about? What type of conversation is this that you're walking along so sad? But their perception was blocked, and they didn't even know that it was him. The, the Bible says in the book of Isaiah, it's with joy that we draw from the wells of salvation. It's with joy that we we make withdrawals from the goodness of God. How do we make withdrawals from the goodness of God? With joy. So it makes sense if they're walking along sad that they didn't have the ability to perceive that Jesus was right there. It's important that we walk with joy and that we get ourselves joyful. That you make a determination, I'm going to be of good cheer. Because there are things that God wants to do in your life, things that he's trying to do in your life, that you, you can be completely oblivious to. Because you're so focused on the negative, you can't even see what Jesus is trying to accomplish. Their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. And he said, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? We'll skip to the end of the story. Most of you know this story. They walk along and Jesus begins to open the scriptures. God's word brings what? Joy. Joy begins to open the scriptures to them and talk about the Messiah. They finally get to where they're going. Verse 30 says, Now it came to pass as he sat at the table with them that he took the bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened up the scriptures to us? So they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven and those who were with them and gathered together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed, and he has appeared, as he has appeared to Simon. It's a, it's a picture of the communion meal. When Jesus took the bread, it's almost the exact same language from earlier in the gospel of Luke. He took the bread and he broke it. And he blessed it. And something happened at that moment that would have caused them to be sad, would have caused them to be blind. In the distribution of that communion meal, something supernatural happened, and their eyes were open. And you can tell that they're not sad anymore. There was a transformation. They've received the joy of the Lord, which is their strength. That they were on their way, just shuffling to Emmaus. They jump up from the table. They just undid the trip that they had just done to get back where they were before and start sharing the good news. He's risen indeed. They're not sharing that with the the same sadness that they'd been talking before. There's excitement in their voice. There's strength in what they're doing. The Lord is risen indeed. And the turning point for that was an encounter with the communion table. And so we're going to take a moment and enjoy that communion meal. And after we do, you're going to stand, you're going to begin to praise God. You're going to worship him. You're going to use it not just as an expression. Well, I don't feel joy. It's not about how you feel. It's about employing a force to be of good cheer. Habakkuk didn't have a whole lot of reason to celebrate either. The Apostle Paul didn't have a whole lot of reason to celebrate. He's the one that said, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. It turns situation. There's so many great Bible stories. that You can see this principle at work. A merry heart does good like a medicine, like a medicine. You don't take it when everything's great. You take it when you need something to change. Well, that's this week's message. Thanks for joining us. To stay connected with us throughout the week, make sure you follow us on Instagram and Facebook. You can also watch previous week's services on our YouTube page.